Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Hallelujah. Slava Panu Shikni. Praise the Lord, everyone. Tonight, we're going to continue to worship and praise our God. Because He is worthy. Amen. Amen. It's so good to be here with you tonight and with my friends, the Carsons, and with so many of you that I know. It means I got to behave. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated for just a little while. Amen. So good to have Brother Sister McFarland right here. When I was a student at IBC, they listened to me learn how to try to preach at Beach Grove Nursing Home many Sunday mornings. And uh, so I give honor to them for giving a young guy a chance. Amen. Amen. So we are missionaries in the Czech Republic. For those who don't know where that is, it's basically right smack dab in the middle of Europe. North of us is Poland. West is Germany, south is Austria. If you go east, you go through Slovakia and Ukraine into Russia. Okay, so basically we're right smack dab in the middle, which I figure is a great place for revival to break out. Because revival breaks out in the middle of something, what's going to happen? It'll spread. So I believe we're in a strategic place in the kingdom of God. The Czech Republic is a beautiful place. It's a land of castles and cathedrals. and There's more castles per square mile in the Czech Republic than any nation in the world. You walk into Old Town Square, it feels like you're walking into Disneyland. But it's real. <laughs> and it's called Old Town Square because Old Town Square is older than New Town Square. You like how they did that? <laughs> See, Old Town Square is from the 1200s, so it's old. New Town Square is from the 1600s, so it's new. A little bit different perspective on what's old and what's new. So it's an incredible place. A nation of over 11 million people. The city of Prague, where we reside, a city of 1.2 million people. In that entire nation, we currently have one established apostolic church. If you take any section that's in this place, there are more people in your section than when we have believers in our entire nation. We have a big job in front of us. Amen. But we like challenges, right? If it's not enough of a challenge to try to reach a nation of 11 million people with such a small group to start with, let's just compound it a little bit more, shall we? They released a study in 2019 that labeled the Czech Republic as the second most atheist country in the world behind only North Korea. That's where I live. The city of Prague where we reside in a survey 82% of the men claim atheism is their religion. We have a big job in front of us. But thankfully, we serve a big God. Amen. And our God is able to break through all of the tradition. He's able to break through the atheism. He's able to break through the education. And God will have a church. He will have a people. Amen. Amen. So I'm not so naive as to think that I can plant and pastor enough churches to reach a nation of 11 million people. 
One person, I can't do it. So what do we do? What we have done is God has helped us in over the last few years, we've been able to open up a Bible school and we're trying to raise up men and women in the word of God. As we're training up men and women, we're starting home groups all around the nation. As soon as we graduate students from the Bible school, we take them to a home group and say, here's a nucleus of people. Let's start seeing churches rise up. Amen. And I believe that with the help of God, we're going to see that country inundated with apostolic churches. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that's our primary responsibility is to try to reach that nation of 11 million. That's enough of a job. But the Czech Republic is part of a of what we have labeled as Eastern Europe. The way we have it divided out, Eastern Europe is comprised of 14 nations, 123 million people, and a land mass the size of the United States east of the Mississippi River. In that entire 14-nation block, we currently have seven missionary families. A number of those nations, we do not have a single apostolic believer. So the seven families, we're trying to work together. Anytime we hear of somebody that may be interested in a Bible study, may be interested in hearing about the Word of God, we get together, we say, hey, who's the closest? Who can get there? But we realize we can't do enough churches. We can't reach enough. We can't plant enough churches. So what we're doing, we're starting Bible schools. We're trying to raise up nationals. So not only do I work in the Czech Republic, I also teach at the Bible school in Mikolovce, Slovakia. I also teach at the Bible school in Pajina, Serbia. I also teach at the Bible school in Bočki Petrovic, Serbia. I also teach at the Bible school in Vienna, Austria. And I also teach at the Bible school in Glasgow, Scotland, as well as helping pastor the church in Prague and planting churches in Ostrava and Kralupi. We're busy. But I said all that to say this. Thank you for what you do for the cause of missions. I just named six Bible schools that I'm an instructor in. Those Bible schools are possible because of ladies' ministries here in North America. Thank you, ladies, for what you do for the cause of ladies' ministries and for the cause of missions. I'm able to get to all of those places because I have a vehicle that's provided by youth ministries here in North America. We're all working together, and together we will see this gospel preached in the whole world. Amen. Amen. So thank you for what you're doing. If you'd like to hear more about the Czech Republic, there's a table out back. You can see pictures. If you're really brave, there's a Czech Bible on that table. You can pick it up and you can try to read it. Amen. I'll answer any questions you've got. And if I don't know the answers, I'll make something up. Amen. Amen. Well, it's church. And a pastor asked me to teach. And that's good because that's what I enjoy to do. So we're going to get into the Word of God. And what I've discovered is the Word of God does not return void. So I'm going to teach for a little while, and then I just expect God to do something great in this place. It won't surprise me if somebody's filled with the Holy Ghost, if somebody's healed, if somebody's delivered, because that's what's supposed to happen when the people of God come together. I know it's, I'm a missionary, it's a missionary service, I get that. But something I realized a while back is every service I'm in is a missionary service. <laughs> so if I want to see God move, it's got to happen in a missionary service. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm going to be reading through a lot of scriptures. And so we're just going to open up here with some very familiar portion of scripture to Bible scholars. And then we'll jump around quite a bit. So I won't ask you to stand or anything because we're going to jump around a whole lot. We're going to start off in Genesis chapter number 12, beginning at the first verse. 
And uh, they'll throw it up there on the screen for you. And it says this. It says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, to a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Amen. A very familiar portion of Scripture. And I want to talk for just a little while tonight. I want to teach on the topic of understanding the blessings of God. Amen. I believe that we are a blessed people. God has blessed us abundantly. And the more that we look at it, the more we realize how blessed we are. But I've come to a realization. I believe that many times we misunderstand and and dare I say, sometimes we may even misappropriate the blessings of God. Amen. I love the blessings of God. I love to experience the blessings of God. And I believe that there's nowhere that you can better experience the blessings of God than in an apostolic church. Amen. I love it when the Spirit of God begins to move and people begin to worship and and everybody gathers around the altar and, and you start to feel those Holy Ghost goosebumps going up and down your back. If you've been around a while, you know what I'm talking about. You know you've been in an apostolic church because you're having to climb over bobby pins on your way out. You know what I'm talking about. I love that. I love to experience that. But I think sometimes we really misunderstand what's taking place when that is happening. Amen. Now, a a while back I was reading through a book, a a book by the name of A Light to the Nations by by a man by the name of Michael Goheen. And, And in this book he goes through and he begins to basically break down and he studies the blessings from the the word of God and and he begins to to break them down and he begins to talk about what they really mean and what they are and and here's what Goheen says the the, his final conclusion it was he he came to this conclusion he said within a biblical context this is a phrase he continues to use he says blessing within the bible is for the purpose of creating contrast Okay, now here's what Goheen would say about the the blessing that we read from Genesis chapter number 12. And and I'm going to give the Matthew Buckland interpretation of what God is telling, telling Abram. Here's what he says. God basically told Abram, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to make you rich, I'm going to make you powerful, and I'm going to make you famous. That's basically what it's saying. Okay. That's what, it, that's what a lot of that stuff means. And then he says, here's what else I'm going to do for you, Abram. He says, <laughs> I'm going to bless them that bless you. I'm going to curse them that curse you. Now, see, when we read through all of this stuff, the natural thing that we do as 21st century Western civilization is the natural thing that we do is we immediately begin to apply things to ourselves. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, it's just the way it is. So as we read through that, the first thing we read is is we hear, make you rich, make you powerful, make you famous, and we think to ourselves, I can get on board with that. (laughs) And then when it says, I'll bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you, I I think to myself, I can really get on board with that. (laughs) Okay? But Goheen says, it's not really... That, that's not really what it's about. Because what the, often when we're reading the blessing, that's kind of where we stop when we read the blessing. 
But that's not where the blessing stops. Because God goes on to tell Abram, he says, and Abram, through you, all families of the earth are going to be blessed. What's, what's God really telling Abram? He says, Abram, I'm gonna do all of these great things for you. But you know what? It's not really about you. You're blessed, but the blessing isn't about you. Here's how Goheen would argue it. He says this, he says, Abram, I'm gonna do all these great things for you. Rich, powerful, famous, blessings, cursing, all this stuff. But here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna bless you so much, Abram, that you're gonna stand in contrast to the world in which you live. And because of that contrast, when people see you, they're gonna recognize there's something that's different about you. And when they see that difference that's inside of you, it's gonna make them ask, what God is it that you serve that has blessed you so much? Because whatever God it is that has blessed you that much, that's the God that I wanna serve. See, I think we as an apostolic movement, we as Pentecostals, we've gotta get to the point that we realize it's not all about us. There's a lot of stuff that happens right here in this house. Yes, and it may be happening to us, but we gotta realize it's not all about me. Could it be that when we come into the house of God and God begins to pour out his blessings and his spirit begins to move, could it be that God is trying to do something inside of us that's not really about what happens in here? but he's trying to do something inside of us so that when we walk out the doors of this church and we show up at our job and we show up in our neighborhoods and we begin to talk to our friends or we stop at a restaurant on the way home, the people that we come in contact with, they look at us and they begin to ask, where have you been? I gotta realize it's not about me. But I am blessed so that a contrast can be created inside of my life so that the world can see his blessings inside of me. I'm blessed, yes, but the blessing isn't really about me. It's about them. Let's take this a little bit further, shall we? Children of Israel have left the land of Egypt. They're wandering through the wilderness and God begins to give instructions to Moses. He says, here's what we're gonna do. He says, I'm gonna have you build a tabernacle so that you can worship me. And, and then he begins to give instructions for how to build the tabernacle. And as part of those instructions, what he also does is he begins to give them instructions on how they're gonna conduct their worship, okay? And part of the worship is God gives instructions to Moses. He says, I want you to tell Aaron and his sons, this is what I want them to do. And you'll find this in Numbers chapter 6. This is a, a passage of scripture known as the sacerdotal or the priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6. And here's what it says. And beginning at verse number 22, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise shall you bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee. Be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee. Give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. What's going on here? Here's what would happen. The priests would gather the congregation of Israel together. Once the, the congregation of Israel would gather together, 
the priests would stand up in front of the congregation of Israel and would stretch out their hands with their palms facing outward over the congregation of Israel. And he'd begin to call out this blessing upon them. He'd say, the Lord bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you, give you peace. Go through the whole blessing, okay? At the end of the blessing, then the priest would proclaim the covenant name of God upon the children of Israel, okay? Now, I don't have time to go into the whole study about this, but within a theological sense, wherever the name is invoked, his presence is, okay? So, by the way, there's direct connections between this and our New Testament understanding of baptism. When you are baptized, the name of Jesus is called over you. When his name is called over you, his presence is there, and the Bible says your sins are remitted, Okay, and then Paul says, when you arise up out of the water, you're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The Greek language that Jews there is actually, you are a new creation in Christ. It's not just that you're washed clean, but you are something that you never even were before. You're a brand new creation in Jesus Christ when you are baptized and his name is called over you. So I'm just going to throw this in here. If you have never been baptized in Jesus' name, you need to talk to the pastoral staff here. They would love to baptize you in Jesus' name. And I'll go as far as to say, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. So getting back to this blessing, because I, I don't want to run out of time, okay? So the priest would call the name of God upon the children of Israel. His presence would descend in that place. You often read in the Old Testament about how the priest couldn't even get up to minister because the presence of God was so thick in the tabernacle, right? You read about that? It's when things like this are going on when the name of God is called, okay? And then at the, at the conclusion of this, God told Moses to tell Aaron, once they do this, he says, I will bless them. Going back to Goheen's understanding of blessing. This was a corporate blessing. The children of Israel were to be a blessed people. Okay? They were to stand in contrast to the world in which they live. I would argue that Israel was supposed to be different than all of the nations surrounding them. They were not supposed to be like everybody else. They were supposed to be a nation that was under what was known as a theocracy. They were supposed to follow after the rule of God. They were supposed to be different than everyone else. And this contrast was supposed to lead the surrounding nations and the blessings of God upon them was supposed to lead the surrounding nations to ask, what God is it that you serve? But I would argue that Israel misappropriated the blessings of God. Because rather than using the blessings of God to show the surrounding nations who God was, instead they used the blessings of God to isolate themselves from the other nations. And if you look what happened, if you read through the Old Testament... It wasn't very many generations after they entered into the promised land. The children of Israel began to cry out to God, and here was their cry. They said, give us a king. Why? So that we can be like all of the other nations. That's what they cried for. Let me tell you this, we've got to be very careful. We were never meant to be a reservoir to the blessings of God. We were created to be a conduit of his blessings. 
If we misappropriate and misuse the blessings of God, we've got to be very careful because it doesn't take very long before instead of the world looking to us and saying, make us like you, instead we begin to look out there and say, I want to be like them. We were never created to be like them. We were created to stand in contrast to this world in which we live. We were called to be a city that's set upon the hill. We were called to be a light into this dark world. We aren't supposed to be like them. We are called to show them who he is. So God gave them what they desired. He said, you want a king? I'll give you a king. It ended up as a disaster. You read throughout the Old Testament. And king after king, it says, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He followed after the footsteps of his father and did that which was evil. He did that which was evil. It goes on and on and on. King after king after king. Generation after generation after generation. But there's a very interesting passage of scripture I ran across. You'll find it in, Numbers, uh, in Psalm chapter 67. Most scholars will argue and, and stipulate that this psalm was probably written during the time of the reign of King Hezekiah. So we're still in Old Testament. We're still during the time of the kings. We're still, this is not yet New Testament, okay? The little preface to the psalm says this. It says, to the chief musician on Neganoth, a psalm or song. If you want to impress your coworkers, you can tell them you know what Neganoth means. It simply means it is a psalm or song that's to, to be sung accompanied by stringed instruments. There you go. It was worth coming to church. <laughs> but look what Psalm 67 verse 1 says. It says, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Selah. Does that sound pretty familiar? Didn't we read something that sounded pretty close to that in Numbers chapter 6 just a little, uh, a few minutes ago? But there's one key difference between number 6 and Psalm 67. Number 6 was the, the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. Psalm 67, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Do you hear the difference? Saul, and number six, it was only the priest that could proclaim the blessings of God upon the children of Israel. But by the time we get to the time of the kings in Psalm 67, God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you call my blessings down upon yourself. You want to live in my blessings? You don't have to go through a priest. This is still Old Testament, folks. You can call my blessings down upon yourself. You can walk in my blessings. You can live in my blessings. But why would God allow them to do that? Look at the very next verse, Psalm 67, 2. It tells us why. That thy way may be known upon the earth, thy saving health amongst all nations. You want to live in the blessings of God? Great, you can live in the blessings of God. But you got to remember something. It's not really about you. Yeah, you can say, God, I want your blessings. God, I need your blessings. But I got to realize I can be blessed, but it's not about me. It's that thy way may be known. It's so that he can be known in this whole earth. When are we going to get to the point that we realize it's not about me? 
I've misunderstood what's happening if I come here and I receive the blessings of God. I receive the touch of God. But then all I do is I pat my friends on the back and talk about how great church was. You've missed the point. It's not about necessarily what happens here because if it stays here, you've missed it. Something is supposed to happen here that I take out there. Because if I become a reservoir, if I'm just holding on to and hoarding his blessings, I miss the point of what God is trying to do through me. When we can begin to understand this idea of contrast, when we can begin to understand this idea of blessing and what it's really all about, it changes the way that we look a lot, that we look at a lot of our Christian life. So often, when people begin their walk with God, they look at this thing that we call holiness as a cross that we have to bear. I submit to you, you've misunderstood it. Because if blessing is supposed to create contrast, holiness helps create a contrast between us and the world. Therefore, holiness is not a cross that I bear, but holiness is a blessing that I live in because it helps show the difference between me and the world. All of a sudden, I begin to understand Hebrews 12, 14 a lot more. Hebrews 12, 14 says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. We often use that verse to say, if I'm not holy, I can't see God. There is a level of truth to that. But when you study that verse within context, you begin to understand what it's really saying is this. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. I got to realize I must be holy, but it, it isn't even totally about my salvation. I must be holy because how can an unholy world see a holy God unless they see him inside of me? Yes, I must be holy. I must be holy so that they can be saved. It's not about me, folks. I got to get over myself and I got to realize that there's a world that needs to see who God is. And the only way that the world can see who God is, is if they see God inside of me. Do you realize that God has chosen us to show the world who he is? Now if it were me, just being completely honest with you, I wouldn't have chosen us. I still make mistakes. I still fail. I'm still a work in progress. You realize if God is God, it would be no, real, no big deal for him to write Acts 2.38 in the clouds every day. Seems like it'd be a lot more effective than having people look at us. But for some reason, God has chosen us. To reveal to the world who he is. Do we recognize the importance of the responsibility that we have? we got to realize what's taking place in the house of God. I come in here so that I can be blessed. So that I can be touched. But I can't let it stay here. I've got to take it out there. Because there's a world that's lost and dying. And they need to know who he is. Do you really realize who you are? Genesis chapter number one, 
It says that we were created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. I'm not going to take the time to read through all of it. They can throw it up there on the screen for you. I did a little bit of study on this. There's an entire branch of theology known as Imago Dei Theology. I did a little bit of study. I'm not going to take too long on laying all this out, but I just want you to help you realize who you are, okay? Image. Probably the foremost expert in the world right now on image within the ancient world is a, is a German theologian by the name of Gerhard von Rad. Okay, I began to read some of von Rad's writings, and here's what he says. He says, within the ancient world, image was very significant, Typically what would happen, warlords would go and they would take over new territories. As they would take over new territories, they would go and they would set up statues and images of themselves all throughout the territory that they took over. They would do this for three primary purposes. Number one, those images would help define the boundaries of the territory that they controlled. Number two, Anybody who lived within that territory, by seeing those images, they would be consistently reminded of who their authority was. And number three, anybody who would travel through that territory would know whose territory they were going through. Okay? So because of this, Von Rad theorized, and his conclusion was this. Within the ancient world, image was representative of dominion. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says that God created male and female in his image. And then it goes on to say, and he gave them dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl, the air, over the creepy things and all that sort of stuff. All right. Adam and Eve had dominion in the Garden of Eden, not because of who they were, but because of whose image they bore. Because they bore the image of the creator, they had dominion over the creation. Does that make sense? Okay. Now we realize God is a spirit. John chapter 4. A, a spirit does not have corporeal being. So when it says that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, it's not speaking of a physical manifestation, but it's speaking of the characteristics and attributes of who God is. The Bible says God is love. Our ability and capability to show love is a reflection of the image of God. Okay? Matter of fact, didn't Jesus say, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another, right? And you can go through a lot of the different attributes of God, and, and, and it all you can see how it all ties in together, okay? So when Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden, they bore the, the image of God. But what does sin do? Sin takes and twists and distorts things, right? So when the serpent came in and Eve was deceived and then Adam volitionally chose to sin. By the way, that's what happened. You can read it. It's in your Bible. They were kicked out of the garden. Part of what happened when they were kicked out of the garden is a curse was placed upon them. And what happened well, sin, when it gets a hold of stuff, it twists and distorts and mangles things. Like when sin gets a hold of love, it's displayed as lust. You can go through all the different attributes and you can see how it works, okay? So when they were kicked out of the garden, once sin entered their life, 
A curse was placed upon them. Part of that curse was, it's now by the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to till the ground. Now it says there's going to be enmity between you and the serpent. Now there's a lot of things that have fallen out of, out of sync. What happened? They lost a lot of the dominion they had because that image that they once bore had become distorted and mangled because of sin. But when you get into the New Testament, Paul says something really interesting in the book of Romans. He's talking about coming into right relationship with God. And here's what Paul says. He says, when you come back into right relationship with God, he says, you become conformed to the image of his son. What does that mean? That means when you come back into right relationship with God, you need to understand what's taking place when you come to an altar of repentance. What is happening is you are coming and saying, here I am, God. I'm surrendering myself to you. And what you are doing is you are surrendering that twisted, mangled mess of a life that sin has created. And God says, when you give me that mess, I'm going to take it and I'm going to shape it and I'm going to mold you and I'm going to conform you to what you were created to be. So you can once again begin to bear the image of God that you were supposed to bear. What did Von Rad say? Von Rad said image served purpose and reason. Number one, one of the reasons Everybody who lived in that area would be reminded who their authority was. Every morning when I get up, I can look in a mirror and I can recognize I am no longer my own. I was bought with a price. Therefore, I must glorify God in my body and everything that I am. I need to recognize whose I am. I am his and he is mine. I need to recognize that in my life. Anybody who had traveled through the territory would know whose area they were going through. That means that everybody that I come in contact with should recognize that I am his. I am not my own, but he is the king of my life. They should recognize there is a difference inside of me. But image also helped to define the boundaries of territory. That means that everywhere that I go, bearing his image... I'm extending the boundaries of the kingdom of God. I don't think it's an accident that when God told, gave his promise to Abraham, he said this, he said, Abraham, everywhere that your foot sets, that's your promise. When the children of Israel entered into the promised land, you can read it in Joshua chapter number one. God told them, he said, here's where your territory boundaries will be. He said, as far as you can walk, that's how far your territory goes. I think it's time that we as apostolic recognize who we are. Hey, I'm no longer my own. When I come in here, God is shaping me and he's molding me. And when I walk out these doors, I should go out bearing his image. And that means everywhere that I go, I can extend the boundaries of the kingdom of God. That means when I step onto my job site, I can say, you know what? The enemy has held this territory too long. Devil, you can't have it anymore, but I'm here bearing his image. God, you're the king here now. When I step onto school campuses, God, this is your territory. When I walk up and down the streets of my city, when I walk around the circle, hey, I'm bearing your image, God. It's not because of who I am, but it's because of what you have given me. 
I live in an atheist country, and I walk up and down the cobblestone streets of that city. And I say, God, for hundreds of years, there's been no apostolic witness. But God, the enemy can't have this city. The enemy can't have this country anymore. God, I'm claiming this territory for your kingdom, for your glory. I got to realize it's not about me. Yes, I'm blessed. Yes, God has done something inside of me. But I realize it's not because of who I am. It's because the world needs to know who he is. When am I going to get over me and recognize what I have been called to do? We've missed the point if we come into church and we pat each other on the back and talk about how great church was. But it stays here. God hasn't done this in our life. God hasn't transformed and changed us so that we can look down our nose at other people and say how much better I am than they are. That's not the point. God has changed us so that the world can see who he is inside of me. It's not my image they're seeing. It's his. It's not how great I am, but it's because he's blessed me. Yes, I'm blessed. Yes, I'm blessed. But it's not about me. It's about them. They need to know who he is. So when I come into his presence, when I come into the house of God, I need to find my way to an altar. I need to say, God, I need your blessings. God, bless me. God, touch me. So that they can know who you are. It's not about me. Musicians, you can come. I'm, I'm done. That thy way may be known. It's not about me. I'm thankful for every blessing of God that I've received. I'm thankful for every touch of God. I'm thankful for every service that we come into and His power is displayed and His power is poured out. But if it stops here, we've missed it. I'll go as far as to say if, if we come and have a Holy Ghost hoedown the rest of tonight, but they don't ask us tomorrow when we get to work, what happened? What have we really accomplished? Oh, yeah, I may feel good about myself. Yeah, we, we may put our arms around each other's shoulder and talk about how good it's been, but I was never called to be a reservoir to his blessings. God, help me to be a conduit. Yes, God, I need your blessings, but let them flow through me so that the world can see who you are. Yeah. We can't miss the point, folks. Does the world see him in me? Is his image reflected 
Does the world see me? Or do they see him? It can't be about me. If it is, I've missed it. I failed. But I want to pray just like they did in Psalm 67. God, be merciful unto me. God, bless me that thy way may be known so that they can see who you are because there's a world that's lost and dying. There's a world that's caught up in so much darkness. And God, I need your light to shine inside of